Hey y'all, welcome to this new OIC Sunday Reflection. My name is Michael Starnagar, and today I'm wearing short sleeves. And that's not all, get this, this whole week I've used only shorts. Now, if you don't understand why that's meaningful, you obviously don't live in Norway or have just arrived. Because if you've been here long enough, you know why, what that means and why it's so exciting. It means that it's summer. It's summer. After all that rain and cloudy weather of some weeks ago, it seems like we kind of just skipped over the rest of spring and went straight to summer. This is the time. This is when we emerge from our winter drowsiness and try to make the most out of these few glorious months of warmth. Right? We camp, we hike, we go to the beach or to what Norwegians called a bathing place, Badeplass, which is, I think, a much more honest way to describe a place where you're basically jumping from a rock into the water and not walking on these long expanses of sand. We, we grill, we swim, we meet in parks, and we bask in the sunshine like pink lizards with vitamin D deficiency. It's just what we do. It's summer. And for us in OIC, summer means also one more thing. It means that we will be looking into the Psalms. It's, it's a tradition. It's like sausages on the 17th of May and glitter on Eurovision. You have to do it. This is the sixth year that we will spend our summer looking into the book of Psalms in the Bible. And I plan on keeping on doing this until someone stops me. I, I have learned to love the Psalms and their particular contribution, for lack of a better word, to scriptures, to our common worship and common spirituality, and also to my own personal spirituality. Wedged in the, in the middle of our Bible, the book of Psalms is a, quite a unique book. It is a collection of songs, prayers, liturgical chants, and they offer us poetical beauty, they offer us spiritual and theological insight, and they offer us often a kind of a human and a spiritual rawness. What I find most intriguing about the Psalms, however, is the role that they play in challenging the way we engage with scriptures and the way in which the Bible can inform and take part in our expressions of spirituality and, well, of humanity in daily life. Because the Psalms are included within the canon of Christian scriptures, they are understood to be a part of God's revelation to humanity. In this sense, we believe that they have something to say about God, about who God is, about how God reveals himself in history. But interestingly, a good portion of the Psalms are in fact addressed not to us, but to God. So the Psalms are the word from God to us and from us to God at the same time. And in that way, the Psalms, they don't allow us to artificially rip the understanding of faith and the experience of faith from each other. Neither will they allow us to keep life and spiritual practices of worship and prayer to keep them hermetically and hermeneutically separated. 
Engaging the Psalms, therefore, is something that we do at the risk of losing big chunks of both our religious and non-religious cushioning, which we so neatly and carefully arranged in order to sit comfortably and hopefully undisturbed by life. So I want to invite you into this practice of reading the Psalms by reading for you the very first Psalm we find in our Bibles, Psalm 1. And I want to read it for you. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who delights on this law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. So that's Psalm 1. And uh, we read the psalm, and being trained to pick things apart to understand them, we very quickly identify a number of elements that seem central to this text. First, there is this threefold structure, this threefold division, both in regards to the theme and to the poetic literary structure of the psalm. So there is a section on the blessed, and then there is a section on the wicked, and then there is a sort of a summary regarding the both in the very end. So that's one thing. And then there is the association between law and judgment. And that, along with this image of the assembly of the righteous, it leads us to consider this element of the law as a central one. So, so we have the blessed slash righteous, we have the wicked slash sinners, and we have the law which could be argued to be the hinge upon which one swings either one way or the other. Which leads me to another important element when we look at this psalm and we're taking it apart, which is the verbs. Walk, stand, sit, meditate. Because these are verbs, they, active verbs, they imply action. And because of that, we read this not as a description of things as they are, but as the laying out of consequences, depending on the nature of our engagement, either with the law or with wickedness. And on that matter, there is also the association of the law with the Lord. After all, it is the law of the Lord that the blessed delight in, and it is the Lord who watches over the way of the righteous. Righteousness and law are therefore associated under the watch of the Lord. So we could then look proudly at our dissected psalm 
and assume that we understand, that we understand what it wants to reveal to us. But that's, that's not how psalms work. That's not how psalms work. Psalms invite us to utter them, to speak them, to sing them, to pray them, to chant them. They ask for room in our lips and they ask for expression by the wind coming from within us and hitting our vocal cords. This isn't only dictation. Psalms ask for prayerful expression. And that is an altogether different kind of engagement. What does it mean to pray this psalm? What does it mean to pray it? Now, unless our prayer is religious hypocrisy, this is not a spiritual exercise that allows us to subtract ourselves from the equation. So we have to put ourselves and bring ourselves into it. And how do we do that? What does it mean to pray this psalm? For my part, I feel like I can give myself enough excuses up to verse 5. Walking in the step with the wicked, standing in the way of sinners, sinning, uh, sitting in the company of mockers. Well, these seem like quite extreme stances, so I guess I can keep away from that kind of behavior. And it's a bit more tricky with this whole meditating on the law day and night, but that's obviously a hyperbole for taking Scripture seriously. And, I mean, I do preach on this stuff on a weekly basis, so check, I guess. And then comes verse 5. Then comes verse 5. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. Now wicked seems like quite an extreme label, right? It seems like a word you'd use to describe a villain in a 007 movie or something. So I'm comfortable saying I'm not wicked, right? But then wicked suddenly gets bundled together with sinners and things start getting more messy. I mean, sin is not a popular word, I know, but there's different ways of understanding and defining sin within the Bible. But whichever way you go about it, you, I think you'd be hard put to find a definition that would give me a clean slate. I, I don't know about you. Maybe you're a squeaky clean. I know I ain't. So what makes matter, and then we go beyond, and what makes matters worse for me, though, is the term righteousness. Righteousness, because that is a big term. I'm, I'm a decent guy, I would say. I'm generally honest and all. But the older I get and the more I learn about the world around me, the more I despair at the overwhelming reality of unrighteousness and of just how entangled in it all I am. Just to name a few things, the fabrics clothing me, right? The, the food feeding me and the currency in my bank account, they all have the marks of unrighteousness. People are being underpaid for it. The planet is taking a beating for it. Countries are being deprived of their own natural resources for it. And that ain't right, it's not right. That is unrighteous. And you could argue that this is about the law of the Lord, which is to be understood as the law as it is presented in the Bible. 
Well, without even going into how there is good biblical grounding for understanding the issues that I just mentioned above as issues of justice and righteousness, I would kindly ask you to read the Pentateuch, the first five books in the Bible, carefully and see how well we score on that checklist. And I guarantee there's some really weird boxes to tick there, which we either ignore or make some serious interpretive gymnastics around. My point is, by the time we get to verse 6, for the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. By the time we get there, we're either in pitched battle over the precise definition of righteousness and wickedness and the legal differentiation structure that we should apply, or we are earnestly asking, what now? What do I do with this? What do I do with myself in this? I've been invited in by the psalm, And I'm not sure there's a chair for me in this particular party. What do I do with it? And this is where I do my yearly plug on Dietrich Bonhoeffer and and tell you what has made me cherish the Psalms much more than I had ever before. Now, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a Lutheran pastor in Germany in the first half of the 20th century. And his faithfulness to the gospel eventually got him killed in a Nazi concentration camp. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote a tiny booklet on Psalms. It's very small, in which he makes a very compelling argument about the Psalms. Now, he's definitely not the only one to make this argument, but he's the one who drew me into this theological framework and spiritual practice of approaching the Psalms through a specific interpretive key. And that key is Jesus of Nazareth called the Messiah and the Christ. Now, I know that doesn't sound too exciting. If, if you've been a Christian for a long time and heard about the relevance of Jesus to the whole of scriptures repeatedly and all the time, and we always tie everything to Jesus, but there is something particularly powerful about considering what that means for the book of Psalms. Because the book of Psalms is a very characteristic book in the sense that it is a book comprised of pr- only, only of prayers and songs. There's no narrative. There's no, it's only prayers, songs, and chants. So in the Psalms, the psalmist and the reader address God. At the same time, as a part of scriptures, as I said, we, understood the, we understand the Psalms as part of God's word for us. So how can a word be both directed to us from God and from us to God? How can it be both to and from God? And the answer is Christ. The answer is Jesus. Jesus being fully God and fully human, he knows both ends of this conversation in himself. He knows the full extent of human suffering, of human pain, of human doubt and fear. And he knows the weight of human sinfulness and brokenness. And he knows it in his own body. At the same time, Jesus is fully and completely 
intimate with the nature and the purposes of God. And being God, whatever word that comes from his mouth is revelation in the biblical sense. It is God revealing of himself, expressing himself into history. And in that sense, the whole Psalter, the whole collection of the Psalms, both in its dimension of prayer and in its dimension of revelation, all of it is at home in the mouth and the expression of Jesus Christ. Furthermore, Christ is the one who enables in himself a place of grace for the free encounter of us with God. And Christ is the one who brings into this space, into his body, our collective belonging to him and to each other. In that sense, the experiences and expressions of the Psalms, they belong to us in the community of Christ, even if they don't seem to apply to my individual experience of life and faith. And this not only provides a unique way of reading the Psalms, but perhaps even more importantly, it provides a different way of taking part in them. Now, going back to Psalm 1, I think there is a wisdom here that predates God's self-revelation in Jesus Christ. And that is the image of the tree planted by streams of water. The powerful thing about this image is that in the middle of the active verbs of walk, stand, sit, meditate, there is the passive word of being planted being planted, and there is a realization with it that this tree that is planted, it flourishes because of the health and life force of the stream from which it drinks. This is, in other words, this image of this tree planted by this running river, it is, it is an expression of profound grace. Profound grace. And this is a story as old as time. But knowing Christ plunges me into that river of grace. And it does so in a way that accounts for the questions of righteousness and wickedness. Neither dismissing them nor holding them against me as unsurmountable charges. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful, the peacemakers, the children of God. The words of Christ, they echo into the psalm and they fill the spaces of my struggle with it. They don't fill it necessarily with definite answers, but they fill it with his presence, with the breath of his voice. We are wicked, but through Jesus we are made righteous. 
for the assembly, this assembly of the righteous, then with this breath of Christ, it becomes the table of the righteous one. The assembly of the righteous becomes the table of the righteous one, of the crucified, risen, and living Jesus Christ. And to this table, I know that I am welcome. To this table, I know that I am welcome. At this table, I know that I am seen and that the eyes of this host, they tell me that I am loved. This dive into the Psalms with Christ, this dive indeed into the whole of scriptures with Christ, it frees us from ourselves without getting rid of us. It, it leads us beyond the smallness of our experience into the richness of an experience that welcomes us. This is prayer and worship and groaning that is planted on the soil of history, yet that has its roots soaked in the revelation, the running river of Christ's grace and Christ's pulsating spirit and life force. While the wicked and the righteous debate terminology, I walk into the psalm with Christ and find that there's a spot on the riverbank. There's a spot on the riverbank where we can plunge our tired feet and where we can delight in the freshness the life-giving revelation of the will of God. This is my Son in whom I am well-pleased. So welcome to this deep well of Christ as we read into the Psalms. And that the Lord may bless you and keep you. That he may make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you. And show you a spot on the riverbank. So go in peace and serve the Lord joyfully.